All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 3 of Hip Squared, American Fantastics pop culture show, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. You know, we, we haven't recorded for a few weeks, and I realized that like one of the best ways to um, start off a podcast is to have something really snappy um, and something really interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Is that a non sequitur? Yes. Yes, it was. So, uh, no, let's, uh, I kind of want to get like right into the topics this week. Okay. Um, I've been, uh, I was getting ready because I thought we were going to record like two weeks ago and I had mm-hmm. this like line planned out for how I was going to talk about something that most people probably don't care about, don't know about, or don't find interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to figure out how I was going to make that happen. You're really selling it, Trey. I know. Well, um, <laughs> As some people might know if they actually listen to the podcast or know me as a person, I play a card game called Magic the Gathering. Uh, The game came out in like 1993. It was the first of its kind. It was the first uh, collectible card game and the first game to have different art. It was one of the first games to have different art for each card and to have like the style of card that many uh, trading card games Mm -hmm. still use today. So, um, for those of you that don't know, Magic the Gathering is a trading card game. Um, it's much on the lines of Yu-Gi-Oh! It's, uh, similar to Pokemon. Yeah, it's a little Um, bit more, uh, I want to say, like, mature, but it seems, like, more grown-up. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a grown-up game. I mean, it's, it's 25 years old, so it is a respectable, you know, it can rent a car now. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a respectable age for a board game, and it's been around for a long time. Uh, but some people don't realize, like, just how much it innovated and how much it brought new to the scene that people hadn't seen before. Um, and I just wanted to talk about like one aspect of that tonight. And that is um, the individual card art on every Magic the Gathered playing card. So uh, if you've ever looked at a Magic card or a Yu-Gi-Oh card or a Pokemon card, they all are laid out in the same format. They have a name of the card and they have a big, about half the card is taken up by a picture mm-hmm. uh, that represents, you know, what's going on, what that card is. And the other half is rules and stuff to do, deal with the game. And there's usually a memorable quote. And there's there's sometimes a memorable quote at the end that kind of adds some flavor and gets you into the, yeah. like, oh, like, yeah, I can, like, understand the drama or the seriousness like or the how silly it is right now. The spider queen reaches far into the night. Yes, sir. <laughs> I think one of the, mo- the most famous ones in the Magic Gathering community is, sorry we burned down your town, here's some gold. <laughs> um, but the thing I really want to talk about tonight was that first half of the card. I mean, it's it's a takes up a big portion of the real estate, and, you know, Magic the Gathering was a game that was all about rules outsmarting people and that's all it had to deal with it just needed to you know get the effect across mm-hmm. it would it wouldn't have the art there's no point for it to really be there but to draw you into that uh universe and into that setting yeah. well, i guess it's part of like since it's a game that's based on your imagination it's sort of like the fuel for you to imagine this like fantastic world right and i think a lot of it had to do with it was coming from the same people that loved uh dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. you know when magic gathering was created it was designed as a game um that you could play in between your D sessions while you're waiting for somebody else to show up you know quick 15 20 minute game 
Um, everybody could bring a deck, you play, and then you put it away and you'd play D&D. Um, and that, I think that's where part of that, that art comes in is that like, you know, you really wanted to get into this universe and you realize, and the original designers realized early on, Hey, if people are only going to play our games for 15 to 20 minutes, we can't, you know, have them, uh, like just be totally brought away from this. We have to like bring it into it. We have to bring this effect into our, uh, into themselves that we need a quick way to do it. And there's not much that's quicker than looking at pictures. Yeah. Uh, human, the human brain is just so set to like, once you see a, see an image, your mind starts building things around that image. You know, you focus on certain points that's based on, um, where the artist put the focus, like, so the whole idea of magic, the gathering art, um, most people kind of ignore. They don't mm-hmm. think it's important. I think it's one of the better parts of the game. Um, yeah. And like when I started playing that, playing Magic like five years ago, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said that. But it's the one part that pretty much anyone knew. That's the first thing that you're going to notice. Yeah. So what are your, some of your favorite, most eye-catching works of Magic the Gathering art? So there's a couple of them. Um, the... And they kind of come, f- depends on the artist that you're going for. So, like, one of my favorites is Enter the Infinite, which mm-hmm. is just this. And I know that, um, you know, podcasting is a great medium to discuss <laughs> art. Um, but I would highly recommend, uh, I'm going to be listing a few cards. Go ahead and look them up. It takes five seconds. If you look up the name and the artist, you'll be able to yeah. find it really We can put them in the so, show notes, too, on AmericanFantastic.com yeah. in the hip squared section for this episode. That'd be fantastic. So, uh, one of them is... Uh, Enter the Infinite. It's a card uh, by Teresa that was made by Teresa Nielsen. The art on it was made by Teresa Nielsen. And it's this guy. And the only way I can describe it is half of the picture is this uh, guy's face and the other. And it's like kind of flowing out and showing all the different things that he could be imagining. Um, But he's looking very pensive and he's very, um, you know, like pondering of the world. Um, And each of these artists, like, kind of has their own style to them so um teresa's nielsen teresa nielsen's art isn't going to look the same as rebecca guay's art isn't going to look the same as noah bradley's as all these different magic gathering artists um and there's these art styles really lend to like the cards themselves you don't want um a very like abstract looking picture for something like a creature Mm -hmm. which is supposed to represent you know a single being. Yeah. Uh, so the um, designers of Magic the Gathering go through, they like pick out specific artists for specific cards. Um, sometimes they'll do more general ones and like have certain expectations. Doesn't somebody do all the landscape cards? The yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the more famous artists is an artist by the name of John Avon. Um, well, there's actually two of them. There's John Avon and Noah, Noah Bradley, but John Avon's one of the more uh, well-known ones. I'm passing around a picture of a John Avon Forest, and they're just like Ooh, spooky. Yeah, That's they're cool. supposed to. When you're trying to, when you're thinking of like, you need to represent a landscape, but it needs to represent this one thing. It gets kind of tricky. Uh, so they take a lot of these artists take like kind of creative license. You know, you need to represent a forest. Okay, well, the forest is green uh, in the Magic the Gathering universe, so there needs to be a lot of green in it so that what you, so that the art itself matches the border that mm-hmm. it's going to be around. Um, well, the, that one looks really neat, too, because it's got a really good use of lighting. It's like 
a lot of silhouetted trees with some like light peeking through fog kind of effect. Right. And it's it's got this it does have like a spooky ambiance to it. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the cards that are designed to like full art. So uh earlier we described like the top half of the card is the art and the bottom mm-hmm. half is the rules. Well, uh as magic got more progressive, they realized, okay, some of these cards we don't actually need the rules text because the players know what they do. So like landscape cards and magic are sort of like your mana. It's like what you use for the energy that it takes to play your cards. Right. Um, Yeah. In magic, the gathering theme, the you're a essentially wizard that's drawing energy from the earth and you draw it from the land itself. So if you need, you know, spiritual energy that to summon a bear you use energy from the forest because that's where the bear's from Mm -hmm. um so you have these you have five different types um let's see plains mountains islands forests and swamps um and each of those types generates different kinds of mana and it's up to the artist to kind of you know pull that feeling through you know you don't want a you don't want a mountain that is like very calm, very mm-hmm. relaxed. You don't have like a, you know, a calm, chilling mountain. You have a very aggressive mountain, a very yeah. powerful mountain. Um, you know, a mountain that like has uh, brightness. Sometimes, oh, cool. sometimes there'll be a volcano in there. Um, <laughs> or like floating rock crystals. Or floating rock crystals. <laughs> so um, the. Art itself for so yeah so the landscapes themselves uh, there's two big artists that are known for doing landscapes uh, there's John Av- John Avon and Noah Bradley Noah Bradley is um, does like more of these sweeping landscapes um, John Avon does more abstract mm-hmm. um, you know like kind of close up to an image but Noah Bradley's will be of like this like a large uh, landscape that describe that shows a lot more. Yeah, cool. Yeah, these are really kind of like gothic looking, but like sort of detailed too. Right. Almost like, um, I don't know, it's kind of like really creepy looking like Renaissance art almost, like those kinds of landscapes, but sort of twisted in a way. Yeah. So uh, I was kind of, I kind of wanted to give credit to these, to these artists because, you know, Depending on where in the magic universe um, Wizards of the Coast decides to plop mm-hmm. next, these artists have to change their style a lot of times to match at least somewhat like the tone of the universe. Um, if you do a gothic horror set, it doesn't mm-hmm. make a whole lot of sense to have you know medieval knights running around. Yeah. If you're doing um, a set like Ixalan that's supposed to be on this kind of uh, this island out in the middle of nowhere where there's dinosaurs and pirates, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to have fairies and angels. So there um, any like Easter eggs or inside jokes in some of the cards. Of course. Um, (laughs) The big ones. So the, the individual art less. So wizards likes to have their um, wizards actually likes to do um, carry throughs of different, of Mm -hmm. different things. So a lot of times, uh, when Wizards of the Coast makes a set, they'll make like two sets in a row, one uh, set, and they'll both be set in the same plane, but they'll be in different time periods. So sometimes what you'll see is like um, you'll see a card that's an uh, upstarting hero, so mm-hmm. uh, somebody beginning their adventure, and then you'll have, and that'll be in the first set, and then the next set you'll have you know scarred veteran, and it'll <laughs> it'll be a picture of the same guy, but mm, you know cool. 
through his adventures. That's neat. Yeah. So you get uh, different things like that, um, as well as different cycles that are supposed to. And a cycle is something where the, um, what is it? The cards have similar effects and they just kind of rotate through the different colors. Oh, cool. Uh, so that you'll, you'll get some um, strings of evidence between those. And a lot of times they'll have the same artist do the same cycle so that they know like what's all in between them. Yeah. I remember when I was little uh, getting a deck of Magic the Gathering cards. It must have been when they first came out, like 1995-ish. Yeah, probably. that would have been pretty early. I was going to say they can't, it, it was... Released on like the West Coast in '93, and okay. then started moving across '93 yeah. to '94. But I, um, I didn't have anybody to play them with, so I would just kind of like study the cards and like, yeah, look, look at the pictures and look at the, the, like the text that kind of um, teases you a little bit about what they are. And my, um, my big background with fantasy art, a lot of it comes from the Dragonlance novels. Mm-hmm. So some of the themes sort of like run through like these like majestic kind of landscapes and also like the very heroic um, aspects of it. I'd say the biggest thing is uh, that the big difference is is that Magic the Gathering seems to look a bit more kind of like regal and um, like it takes itself a bit more seriously in terms of its art form. Whereas with Dragonlance, it was a bit more like Pulp Fiction where there was a lot of like, uh, I call it like cheesecake or like mm-hmm. uh, just scantily clad people or like people with big muscles kind of thing. Whereas I feel like, um, I don't know what magic like draws its inspiration from, but it's it sort of like kind of reminds me of like sort of like the classical art or like Renaissance period art mm-hmm. where you had these like very like heroic, like saintly looking individuals. And a lot of that has to do with, and a lot of that might be just like who I'm looking at now. You do have some of the more, especially in the last sets, uh, you had a lot of like really colorful cards um, because it was like dinosaur advan- uh, adventure island. So there was all these like colorful dinosaurs that had like big feathers on them. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's magic's run into um, a couple times where they've released cards and then, after they've released it, kind of gone like, oh, maybe mm. we maybe we went a bit, a bit too far with that. There's um one of the more famous cards. I think it's um, Liliana of the Veil. Mm-hmm. Um, is a woman that is you know, um, showing a lot of cleavage. Yeah. And like I'll, the uh, Wizards of the Coast got a lot of fla- uh, flack for that early on. Like, come on, guys. Like, is mm-hmm. this how you is this how you need to sell cards? And they went. No, it's it's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, so they started to pull back. There was another card early on. Uh, I think it was a one of the Nissa cards that also had like a lot of cleavage, and they were like, "Okay, we don't need to do that." Um, and as it as they've progressed through the years, they become more and more adventurous on um, kind of their stand on different things. So you'll have uh, we have a lot of female heroes now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of, and it's not like you know. Um, Oh, she, it's amazing because she's a female hero. No, it's a hero that just happens to be a woman. Uh, they had their first um, uh, woman. No, they had their first male identifying as a woman mm-hmm. uh, back, I think, like three years ago when they That's released cool. Cons of Tarkir. Um, they had their first um, ADHD uh, character, uh, somebody who couldn't focus on anything. And they, they told this through the stories outside of the game itself. Uh, periodically they'll release, um, new story, like new story arcs. It's 
uh, about a thousand words about like a short story essentially. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll tell you more about the character stories and you can see like, Oh, okay. This person, this person has ADHD and it kind of reflects on how they play in the game. That's neat. Yeah. So, um, Wizards of the Coast has like come a long way from when they first were, um, releasing cards and they released a card called, um, I think it was unholy might where it had like the satan- satanic symbol in the background written in blood <laughs> of the art. So, That's neat. uh, they've come a long well, way. There's a whole death. Like, isn't Swamp supposed to be kind of, like, symbolic of death in that universe? Right. Or at least that's how it used to be? Mm-hmm. That's neat. Uh, yeah, each of the colors represents a whole uh, philosophy that I could get behind, but I won't. <laughs> um, but, the, but it is a rich, rich tapestry. It is. Um, they're, one of the head designers at Wizards of the Coast has done hundreds of podcasts at this point uh, on a podcast called Drive to Work where he just talks about magic design. He talks about, like, the different philosophies that they go into and um, what they've learned from their design. So, like, all of that stuff, yeah, there's there's a lot in uh, mm. magic, and there's a lot to, like, pull out and see from the different cool. the different arts. Yeah, well, it's yeah. definitely an entire world you can plunge into. Uh, there's card games. There's a computer game. I think now there's, like, paperback books, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like its own fantasy universe. But, yeah, the cards are where... A lot of people get started, and if you want to check that out, a good place to go is, like, your local hobby shop or, like, comic book store, anywhere they sell, like, role-playing games and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of places will also have, like, groups or clubs where if you are not initiated, somebody more experienced can, like, teach you the rules and teach how to play. Right. So um, since we're going really quick, um, a couple stores in Louisville that are really good about it are Through the Decades, Bluegrass Magic, um... Uh, Heroes, Comics, and Games, all these mm-hmm. uh, stores support Magic the Gathering. If you go there and say, hey, I've heard about this thing called Magic the Gathering. I'd like to be more interested. Um, a lot of those stores are supplied a kind of intro deck that uh, that are designed to be given to players like you to say, hey, here's here's the game. Um, we'll, te- we'll sit down, help you teach, uh, help teach you how to play it. Uh, and then, like, you know, start bringing your friends here. They have events all the time. Um, which is the Coats events. Friday Night Magic is one of the most popular things. Um, I know it through the decades. They get at least 50 to 60 people coming in on Friday nights just to play Magic That's all night. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, neat. Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of avenues to check that out. Um, all right, so we're going to switch gears now and go from the realm of magic to the realm of madness. <laughs> um, so what, I was, what I'm going to talk about tonight are two works – that are written by people that are bipolar. Um, I was diagnosed bipolar about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I've uh, sort of like struggled with it slash harnessed its powers since then. Um, but it's really neat um, to learn about other people that uh, cope with the same condition. And um the two that I'm going to talk about tonight, one is called Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me, and it's by a woman named Ellen Forney, and she is an artist from Seattle. She illustrated um, a Sherman Alexi book that I can't quite recall the title of right now. She's um, she's a really accomplished graphic artist, um, and she did a comic book memoir of her life after being diagnosed bipolar 
which is really interesting. And the other one I'm going to talk about a little bit is called An Unquiet Mind, which is uh, a little bit more academic. Hmm. And it's uh, just regular like autobiographical text by a woman named Kay Redfield Jameson. And she's in the strange position of being a uh, clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, and like an academic uh, researcher, but also is bipolar herself. So not Mm -hmm. only does she treat people with bipolar, but she's also lived with bipolar and talks about um, a lot of the struggles that go go along with it. Um, So Troy, what do you know about bipolar? Um, I know that it is a condition where a person can enter a uh, manic or dep- depressive state um i know, I know it's, it's kind of weird discussing that uh i've never actually been you know called to <laughs> called to explain it but I, I know it uh affects a lot of people in the u.s mm-hmm. um and generally i know and this is from my uh like ap psychology class in high school mm-hmm. that uh lithium tends to be a pretty common yeah. treatment lithium is the most common like mood stabilizer for it um so mania is when somebody is it's kind of like like a really high pitched excitement um so it can lead to like really having a lot of high creative energy it can also be express itself as um talking a whole lot doing mm-hmm. a whole lot um not being able to sleep kind of like just being amped up to a really high energy level and uh Depression is a lot of people are a lot more familiar with because that's much more common, but it's also the other end of the spectrum where it's more of a having very little energy, um, extreme sadness without having anything necessarily specific to be sad about. Um, it can also, unlike the very dark side of the spectrum, lead to like suicidal thoughts and things like that. And so a lot of artists throughout history and a lot of people in general have struggled with bipolar. And um, it's only been recently that it's kind of had any like sort of therapeutic um, efficacy. So like since Mm -hmm. like the mid 1970s and um, it's and that's where people actually started to go, oh, this is a condition. Well, it's really interesting, the history of it, because there's like the person who discovered the biomechanical um mechanism behind bipolar also had bipolar himself Mm. um Hmm. but but yeah it's like a lot of people like kind of like struggling to understand the illness and then also struggling to um kind of like figure out ways to cope with it and it's neat because in marbles and an unquiet mind there's sort of like stages that people seem to go through Mm -hmm. um so like the first stage that people kind of exist at is this uh, hypomanic stage where you have a lot of energy and you can get a lot done and you're very creative and in that um, kind of phase like people can seem sort of either like attracted to you or like at least like seduced by your energy Um, but then also the more and more you get to know that person or be around them you sort of like start to realize that there's like an extreme edge like some people will either spend way too much money or they'll engage in very risky behavior, like including like um, like sexual things and like having unsafe sex and things like that or being very promiscuous. 
and um, also things like staying up for days and days and days. And then the other side of that, which a lot of, like, uh, which bipolar people have to t- deal with, is that after experience that mania, there is also uh, like a depressive crash afterward. And that's when people will struggle to have like any sort of productivity or any sort of kind of like creative life or like just getting out of bed in the morning and going about their day to day life becomes a struggle. And in those periods, people tend to uh, struggle a lot against like the darkness inside of their minds. And um, in an unquiet mind, there's even description of a suicide attempt um, where the woman, uh, Kay Redfield Jameson is her name. Uh, tried to overdose on lithium. And mm. one of the only reasons that she survived is because she had a brother that was really worried about her. And when she didn't answer the phone, um, he went and like checked on her and I guess took her to the hospital and she had to be like, go, th- go through all this treatment. Um, but it's also one of the things that made like helped her, I guess, get better because she realized what a, a heavy toll it was taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the but the arcs of it are really neat. Um, and and in Marvel she does a lot. So Ellen Forney kind of incorporates a lot of the artistic side of it because that's how she's coming at it as an artist. And there's a lot in there about people who uh, like old artists who felt like they had this uh, darkness inside of them and also this like creative energy. And that it was almost something that was sort of like necessary for their work and that they kind of felt like they had to survive through it in order to like pay the price for that. Hmm. So I know one of the, if I remember right, one of the big struggles with um, treating uh, bipolar is that uh, the lithium, lithium, which is again, the most, what I've heard the most common used, Mm -hmm. uh, treats the manic state, but not as much the depressive state. So the people lose, so people lose their manic state but are still left with these down. Yeah, it's it. Well, the mood stabilizing part is like part of what both of the writers go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ellen Forney goes through a whole bunch of like, basically it's like trial and error, mm. but it's kind of insane. It's like four years of her trying all of these different drug cocktails and kind of going um, backward and forward in terms of like either getting too manic or too depressive. Mm-hmm. And then finally, after a while, she does learn her balance. And for her, a big part of it was abstaining from marijuana. And that's kind of one of the things that like led to the last key in the puzzle was that like she basically had to get clean from mm-hmm. everything else before she could get stabilized that way. Um, and in Unquiet Mind, Kay Redfield Jameson describes it. Well, they had her on a really high dose of lithium because it was very early on. Oh, and when that treatment know. was being explored, yeah, but she even describes like how hard it is for her just to um, kind of like under like uh, like just to read and focus on things for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Like she talks about getting really into reading kids' stories because that was like about all of the attention hmm. span and focus she had. And like reading Beatrix Potter and a lot of the stories from her childhood, that was like something that was kind of like a comfort to her. Um, but eventually she, like, they eventually figured out that you could give somebody less with, like, where it was still a therapeutic level. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that people that with bipolar s- struggle with as far as the treatment is that they get addicted to the highs of it or they don't want to yeah. g- give up on that. 
So that's another thing that both of the characters or both of the people who wrote these books struggle against because like, um, like they feel like they can get a whole lot done and they have like these creative sprees. They also have these like sort of transcendent experiences like, um, and Kate Redfield Jameson in an unquiet mind, she's a scientist. So she takes a very like clear, like, yeah, like dry look at it. Mm -hmm. But when she was her most manic, she had like this kind of like out of body experience where she was floating throughout the solar system and was like near the rings of Saturn and like looking at the rings of Saturn. And, um, and I, I mean, you could kind of say like, yeah, she was like really out of her mind, but then the other part of it too is like, um, and like, this kind of reminds me of like people that have had psychedelic experiences too, where it's almost like this mystical experience or like this view of another world or the universe from a different perspective. And, um, but she she says that even now when she sees an image of Saturn, it sort of makes her feel melancholy for that time that she uh. <laughs> that's that transcendent experience. But yeah. um, so, yeah, so like they, they both struggle against that, too. And I and it kind of like the arc of it is that they figure out that like being balanced is healthier for them in the long run so that that's what they have to do. Uh, but it takes them a really long time to get there, and it's something that they really struggle with. So for me, I guess the reason I like reading about it so much is because, um, like, for anybody that has any sort of either, like, mental health issue or any sort of health issue in general, I think reading about people that have been through that before gives you a kind of a perspective. And even if it's not necessarily a roadmap, it's just a way for you to feel connected to other people and not feel so isolated and not feel like your um your experiences are completely unique because that can be a very lonely feeling um and the other thing too is that i think it provides a much more rich and holistic view of what you're going through than like reading just like entries on webmd that make you feel like um i don't know just like overwhelmed like you're just a bunch of symptoms or you're just a bunch of like aspects of a certain condition one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like helps you see that they're, that they're real people that um, struggle with these issues, but they still can like lead whole lives. And it's, um, I don't know, it's very, it's, it's kind of comforting in a way because a lot of times when you hear about bipolar, it's like a lot of the stories don't have good endings because, you know, people are committing suicide or people have other issues like that'll, um, like destroy relationships or be like very have like a really negative impact on them but then seeing the people like get through the other side can be a real comfort on its own so you you were talking about all this and i couldn't help but think um and this is just like from my own experiences and the reason that i was looking at my phone is there's a musical that came out um it's probably close to four or five years ago now called next to normal mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've ever heard of it is a music about it is a musical it is a rock opera uh-huh. uh, about this family um, where the mother suffers from, among other uh, mental issues, um, bipolar. Okay. And as you were describing, it's like, oh, okay, that's what that's what the part of. There's a whole song where she's meeting with the doctor, and they're trying to figure out her dosage. Mm-hmm. So like, he'll say it's like, okay, up the dosage, up the dosage and uh or lower the dosage and like going through all this and then 
at, at the end of the song, she's like, I feel plain or I feel normal. And he's like, oh, okay, we got there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's there's another song, and, and it was just blowing my mind as you were describing There's another song, uh, it's one of the most fami- uh, famous songs from it. It was actually, I think, might have been the song performed at the Tonys, um, and it's called I Miss the Mountains. Oh, okay, and it's like her missing those highs that she used to get. Yes, and it's it's a ballad. It's it's or it's a, you know, like a cry for like I miss those excitements. You know, the rolling hills, uh, the adventure, and it's it's, you know, and at the end of it, she essentially goes off her meds. So when you're describing <laughs> it, it's like if you're if you're somebody else that's looking into, um, another medium where this has been discussed. Uh, Next to normal, it's a rock opera. It has fantastic music. It does um, come off with a uh, very sad, like kind of almost disturbing ending. Mm-hmm. So I will warn you about that before going into it. Um, but it's a uh, it's a musical design to like really make you think about these uh, these conditions. That's really cool. Yeah, I'd never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think art can be a really good avenue into these kinds of experiences. And I think too for people that are that just have people in their family or their friends who you know struggle with these issues too that can be a really good avenue to explore them because it's it's kind of like puts you into that mindset or into that um that kind of like perspective where you can actually feel or at least see what those people are going through right and that is one of the most difficult things for humans to do is to be able to describe one thing that one thing to another person that that person has not experienced yeah it's it's it can be really challenging i have a story on american fantastic and it's also the title story of my first uh, book of stories and poems called delusions of grandeur and it's trying to explain what it's like to be like in one of those manic peaks but also like to a level where it's almost well, they describe it as psychosis where you're basically losing touch with reality. Um, so if anybody wants to explore that side of things, uh, you can definitely check out that story or um, any of these other works we mentioned. I also really like the song um, Manic Depression by Jimi Hendrix. I feel like that does a really good um, kind of way to describe it. And then also, like, I think it also, like, if you look at Jimi Hendrix's life, it illustrates a lot of the struggles that people with bipolar have where it's... Um, yeah, like really high creative sprees, but then also like he struggled a lot with substance abuse and like self-medicating and all of those kinds of issues too. And his story doesn't necessarily have a happy ending either, kind of like the rock star mm-hmm. uh, tragic figure. But um, but yeah, all those, I think art in general has a really good way to let people feel things that other people are feeling that they themselves might never get a chance to experience firsthand right so <laughs> so yeah so check those out um well i guess uh we're just about to start wrapping things up um did want to thank danosongs.com for our intro and outro music thanks dano uh you guys can check out danosongs.com for any royalty free music that you may need um and tonight's episode was produced by mayplex monk you guys can check out uh, mayplexmonk.com and the creative community to find out more about what's going on with him. Um, If you'd like to learn more about American Fantastic, a really good way to do that is to follow us on Facebook. You can also check out AmericanFantastic.com for stories, music. Uh, All of our audio work is also hosted on that site. Um, 
and there's a lot of cool visual art and things that you can check out. Um, any artists that would like to are certainly welcome to contribute at AmericanFantastic at gmail.com. Any kind of uh, original art that they would like to share. And if you guys would like to support American Fantastic, like us on Facebook, share us on social media. You can also donate on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And like the sign says, anything helps. Uh, Troy, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Nah, man, I think you covered it all. All right, we'll see you next time, guys. Toodles. Toodles.